really quickly, I want us to, uh, uh, instead of just kind of spending some time recapping too much, uh, I, I want us to just to think for just a moment. I, I think there's something this, this morning that's something significant about, uh, about this morning that uh, we, we sort of celebrated last week in, in our picnic, and then we're going to really celebrate in about a, in about a month on our, on our launch Sunday on October 30th. There's our, there's our plug. Um, and, and that's as of, as of this Sunday, the fourth Sunday in September, we have been gathering together here and together as, as a church, as, as a people. We, we've been doing this now for, for one whole year. Some of us, it's like, that's all it's been. And some others are like, man, I can't believe it's gone so fast. I can't believe it's already been uh, a, a year. And, and so I, I just want us to take a moment just to recognize that, recognize God's goodness in that. And I know, you know, things have changed and we're, we're kind of moving ahead and, and, and things like that. And, and some things may, be, may not be the same, exactly what they were. But we can also recognize that God is doing a work in our, in our midst. And I hope you can see that. I hope we can, we can see through the trees a little bit this morning and just kind of poke our heads out and look at the sunrise. And stop worrying about all the little things, but just look at the sunrise. You know, last year when we gathered, which we were actually in the other room, so over a year we've certainly even upgraded our facility by getting on the list every Sunday, right? Um, last year at this time, uh, um, our Pastor Bill preached that Sunday, and the songs that we sang, we sang Come Thy Fount, we sang Jesus Paid It All, we sang 10,000 Reasons, and Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, which we just sang. We've been gathering for one whole year. And so what, what I, I kind of want us to do, and, and if, if, if Bill would, um, if, he, if he feels led to do this maybe in our response time, and if, and if the Lord puts something on your heart, just to kind of speak of something that you are thankful for, grateful to the Lord for over this past year, uh, we're definitely going to do this on the 30th when we gather together for our first members meeting. But, uh, uh, but if at the end, if you want to speak something, that would be wonderful. Because I, I think we all could use, we could use the encouragement. Hear how the Lord has used sovereign grace as an encouragement uh, to you in the, in the building up of your, of your faith. So, so we'll, we'll do that, at the, we'll do that at, the, at the end. But we're in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to read from verse 29, and we're going to do, do verse 29 and 30, as you will, as you will see. Verse 29, you all read with me. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have your phones, whatever it is. Oh, turn them on, open them up. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 29. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us once again to gather together to be your people in this place. Thank you for your works of grace in each and every one of us over these, this past year. Works to grow us in your word, works to delight in you and to trust in your promises, works to, to mature us in the gospel, works of good fruit to love and encourage one another, works to serve one another. We see where we have come from. We see where we are now. 
and we see where we are going. So we thank you for each steadfast, loving step that you have taken with each and every one of us. We pray this morning that you would glorify yourself once again to open up our hearts and our minds to your perfect word this morning, that we may be conformed more to the image of your Son. So we pray that in his name. Amen. I remember going to the first day of kindergarten, and I don't know, actually I don't remember specifically, but I do remember this part, and that we were given two rules in kindergarten the very first day that we were to obey, and, and I bet you can guess what they are, right? first one is, uh, you know, keep your hands and feet to yourself, right? Y'all remember that one? That, that rule still applies, right? Still applies. And the second one is, is if, if you cannot say anything nice, then... Don't say anything at all, right? Don't say anything at all. And I remember being taught that by, by Miss Reese at Middle Lane Elementary down in uh, O'Galley, or actually it was O'Galley's West Melbourne. And I remember learning that, right? And, and uh, they said that if you learn those two rules, then everything else will, will, will fall into place. And to be honest, I didn't do a very good job learning that. And I think most kids have a hard time with those two simple rules as any rule that we might give them. Um, but I had a really hard time keeping those rules, and, uh, uh, and that's why I failed kindergarten. Uh, imagine that. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Um, or how about the, the old saying, and I don't know how old this is. It sounds pretty old. Uh, um, the old saying that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or I, I put names down, names because calling people names. I don't know how old that is. Um, but uh, it probably has been a, a long, wrong time with people who are using sticks and stones still to break people's bones instead of baseball bats and crowbars, I guess. I don't know. That's sadistic. I'm sorry. Um, uh, but the one thing about that statement is just you quickly learn. Like your parents give that to their kids like as if you can stand up to the bully, but truthfully what happens is we realize that that's a crock, right? I mean, it is. Because, yes, sticks and stones break my, will, will break our bones, but... They, they hopefully will heal. But a lot of times the words and the names that are taught to or are, are, are said to us and about us, they hurt. And they last longer than what it takes for a bone to heal. And so words hurt. Words matter. Right? If there's one thing that, not one, there's several things, but if there's one thing that I've learned from Bill was that words matter. It's like the first thing he ever taught me. Words matter. Deal with it. Words matter. Our words matter. Every form of our words matter. Not just what we speak, but what we type, what we text, what we tweet, what we retweet, what we post, and what we share. All those words matter. So when I'm saying corrupting talk this morning, I'm speaking about all of that. Because that's inclusive to, to now our culture and how we write and how we share, all of our words matter. Now, here's the problem that I had when I was thinking about this text. How do I communicate to you, and even to me, how do I communicate in in an age, in a culture where words don't matter? They don't. Words, words, Words don't matter. How do, I, how do I communicate that they do when, when and we live in a culture that they don't? Filthy, vile, vulgar language is everywhere. I mean, we could pull it up in an instant on our phones, right? I mean, 
instantly. It's on Netflix. It's, it's on Amazon. It's, it's everywhere. It's on YouTube. We are, we are uh, Facebook, right? Twitter. We're, we're all in it. We're immersed in it. We can access it at any point in time. Television is, is, is off its hinges. I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's all around us. But as Christians, we should realize and we should know that our words matter. And the reason why our words matter is because that's how God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us through words. Communicating words. Words matter. Now it shouldn't surprise us as we encounter this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Now we're getting kind of an ethical lesson on how we talk. How we talk to one another after talking about uh, falsehood and anger and, and stealing. Now we see this, that no let, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But here's the deal, as we've been talking about over these last weeks and, and, and months, and we'll continue to talk about, is that Christianity is not about creating a moral people who just don't have potty mouths. Right? Christianity's more than just that. It's, it's more than just telling us not to steal. It's more than just not getting angry. Because if we're all of those things and we are not transformed by the, by the gospel, then all we are is moral people with moral behavior with dead hearts. And so there's more in this passage than, than just don't cuss. There's so much more. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of good people who don't cuss, who don't drink, who don't swear, who don't go to R-rated movies, who are on a fast pace to hell. There's a lot of good old boys in hell and good ladies who we looked at and say, she was awesome. So the, so the, the qualification is, is not are we good enough, Qualification is transformation. It's an internal work of the heart that only God does that, that changes our language. It changes our words. It changes how we, we talk. So, so what we don't need this morning is just another drive-by guilting to get you to stop cussing and start speaking like Ned Flanders. Anybody know who Ned Flanders is? Don't. Okay, I was going to say, not the most shows don't, you know. I, I wish you did because that would have been really funny. I guess, Walter, you and I, buddy, we'll, we'll get that. Um, I, I'm not going to take time to explain that. Uh, so so we, we need the battle. We need this, this battle of all sin, including the way that we speak, to always go to our hearts. It always goes to our hearts. That's, that's where the work of the gospel does its, does, its, does its job. That's where Christ goes in and invades and transforms. So let's look. Let's look at verse 29. It says, if you're reading from the ESV, which I think most of us are, verse 21 says corrupt, right? It says corrupting words. Uh, sarpos logos, right? Logos, the word, sarpos, corrupt. If you're reading in a different version, such as the, uh, the New American Standard or the NIV, it says unwholesome talk. Anybody have an NIV? Rock. It says unwholesome talk, doesn't it? Unwholesome. ESV says corrupt. Uh, no one's reading from the RSV, but it says uh, it said evil talk. It says evil talk. 
And, and this, this evil talk also has, has a has longer uh, context to it because Jesus uses the, the language, this exact same word, that's sarpos, in Matthew chapter 7, as well as what we read this morning in Luke chapter 13, to describe rotten, bad fruit, corrupted fruit, evil fruit, no good, worthless fruit, spoiled fruit. Fruit. He says it in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 17 and 18. He says, so, speaking, to the, uh, um, speaking about false prophets, he said, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit, corrupt fruit, soiled fruit, or spoiled fruit, rotten fruit, unwholesome fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 7. We're going to, kind of, we're going to dance between that back and forth in, the, in a couple minutes in Matthew 7. And, and you can just kind of look that up again. I believe the same meaning of, of, of uh, Ephesians 4 is here. Jesus is telling us that this corrupt talk, our corrupt talk, is the same as rotten fruit that is decaying, spoiled, and useless. So fruit, talk that's rotten and, and decayed and, and, and dirty is, is a part of the old self, right? Because we saw corrupt back in verse 22 of chapter 4, that we put off our old self, which is deceived right, by, by corrupt, evil desires. And we're no longer to put those things on, but we're to put that away. That's no longer us. That, that corrupt nature that, nature, that filthy language, that, that rotten language, spoiled language, is no longer us because we have put on the, the new. We put on Christ, the new self. So that's what corrupt means. But what, is, what does that mean, though? How, how do we then know? Because the question that's been left to us is, is, what kind of talk is corrupt? What kind of talk is rotten? Can I get a little PG-13 for a few minutes? Is that okay? Yes, it's okay. You guys will hear worse during football games today. Corrupting talk. Five, five types. Five types. Number one is taking the Lord's name in vain. This is corrupting talk. This is rotten talk. Any language that takes the Lord's name in vain. This is the third commandment. It is such a, a, a great contradiction for a Christian to take his Lord's name in vain. To use the name of God in such an unholy, uh, irreverent way. Even when we're saying things like, and we're angered, and we're like, we're like God, or oh my gosh, or oh my God, or my God, or Jesus, or Jesus Christ. When we, when we say those things in, in that way, we're taking the name of God and we're taking what is sacred and we're making it a curse word in a sense. We're making it an expletive. It's like taking your wedding ring off that's precious and sacred and you're just stomping on it. That's what that, that's what that means. It's defiling what is pure. It's taking what is sacred and making it common. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Christ, the anointed God. The Father is infinitely holy and majestic and supreme. Brothers and sisters, be warned, do not take the Lord's name in vain. This is the first one of corrupting language, corrupting talk. Second one is minimizing terrible realities. Second way we do corrupting talk is minimizing terrible realities. 
terrible realities like, like hell and damnation and holiness. And we say things like, what the hell? And we say things like, hell no. And we say, go to hell. Or we say, damn it. Or we say, damn right. Or we say, holy cow. I'm not just cussing here to, to be a shock value. I'm trying to explain that this is what we say. Do you see what's wrong with these? We're, trivial, we're trivializing what is, what is infinite. We're, we're minimizing such terrible realities when we, when we say the word hell in a context that, that it's a real, literal place where billions of people are suffering for their sin. And apart from Christ, we would be there as well. We cannot trivialize this. And we use those words when we get angry about sports. When we get angry about politics. We, we say those things. Maybe sometimes we feel justified in using those, that language sometimes about, of hell and damnation and holiness because, because maybe they're not real terrible realities to you. Maybe they're just not that big of a deal. And I warn you, brother and sisters, to, to daily think of the weight of the holiness of God. Bear the weight of, of the wrath of God poured out on His Son so you do not have to suffer eternal damnation from Him. Let's not trivialize once again what is infinitely precious. Number three, taking what is good, what is good and making it vulgar. Taking what's good and making it vulgar. I think Ephesians 4 is definitely speaking of this this kind of language when we take what is created good by God and using them in vulgar ways, namely the rotten ways in which we speak of sex and the way that we speak of the human body, what both God created for, for good and for good purposes, for Him, for His glory, that we have used them as a vulgarity of profanity, either for our humor or for our hatred. I mean, how in the, how in the world does, does the, the act of sexual relations that God created in the covenant of, of marriage to be fulfilled in the covenant of marriage, how in the world has it been deduced, reduced to a vulgar four-letter word to express hatred or a curse towards someone? How does this happen? I'll tell you how it happens. Number one, you take God out of the picture. You take Him completely out of the picture, and that's easy to do. That's the easy part. And the second thing is, is then we, then we, we, we replace the tenderness of, of married love and that relationship and that married relationship, and we replace it with violence. And we replace it with forceful, selfish hate. I'm not saying the word that I'm describing here. And when we put those two together, you get a four-letter word that expresses that selfish, uncaring abusiveness. We don't have too many single Christian women here, but maybe it may be a advice for them, all, all of us, and to them especially, is don't give the time of day to a man who uses such language. Because abuse 
and rotten language come from the same root. They come from the same place. So that's number three, taking what's good, making it vulgar. Number four, mean-spirited language toward others. Right? This is the one where we say, shut up, or I don't like you, or I don't want to be your friend anymore. These are the things my kids say. I don't, I, don't, I don't want this. I don't like you. You're, you're this. Right? That's, that's what we mean by the, the mean spirit of language. Whatever's said that's intended to hurt someone else. So we, we know that one. We know that one good. Number five is gossip. Is gossip. You knew I was going to come here, didn't you? Gossip is just like the mean spirited language towards someone else, but we do it a little bit more subversively. We're not as open and as forthright, but still the intent is the same, to hurt someone else and to make yourself look better. Gossip buys its time, waits to speak lies about someone else. And I, I, I like this. I, I had it on for the screen today, but uh, you all have to, to catch it. But I, I love this quote by Augustine, and it was a sign that he would put on, his, he would put on the wall in his dining room when he had people over and he had, for all the people to see. And maybe we should have this, something we should put on our room. Our, and it says this. It says, whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. And we read that again for those who want to put that, go on Pinterest and type it out and find it and print it out and put it on your thing. Whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcomed at this table. And if we would treat gossip as such things, that if we're speaking about someone else who is not at, the, at present, is not with us at that moment, in an evil way, not in a building, not an edifying, not an honoring kind of way, then we should realize that that's what it is. It's evil. It's sin. And we should not take part of it. Even at the matter if it offends the person when you tell them, hey, that's gossip, I'm not taking part of it. So there's the five. What are the outcomes? What are the outcomes of, of corrupt talk? So now that we've identified the rotten language and, and, and the five things that, that I believe is corrupt talk or evil talk or rotten talk or spoiled talk, let's go back to the example of the fruit tree, right, from Matthew chapter 7. And, and let's just kind of look there. You see how it's the fruit tree, and you see how the bad fruit is on a diseased tree, right? You see that in Matthew chapter 7. Well, I have four outcomes for us in, in taking the bad fruit and relating it to our bad language. Number one, it doesn't nourish. The first thing is it doesn't nourish. Corrupting talk, rotten talk, spoiled talk, doesn't nourish. Right? I mean, you try to eat a banana, that's rotten. I mean, rotten, not just black that you can still stick in the freezer and save it for banana bread. I'm talking rancid. It, it, there's no nourishment there, right? It, there's, there's, there's no nourishment. It does not build up. It doesn't encourage. It doesn't grow. And the same is with our language. When we speak evil things, when we speak rotten language, there's nothing good. It's like eating cotton candy. It may feel good and taste good to say it and to spit it out, but if you eat enough of it, it's going to make you sick. And that makes me to my, gets me to my next point. No longer, not only is it not nourishing, but it'll also make you sick. It'll make you sick. You try to eat rotten fruit, it's going to make you sick. We've already said this, words hurt. Words wound. Words hurt deeply for a long time. And I, I think some of us can still hear harsh language being spoken to us. And we still remember as vividly as if it was yesterday. Maybe it was yesterday. 
hurts, but it makes us sick. And corrupt language is like a virus. It's like a, it's like a disease that spreads. Number three, it pollutes and it stains. It pollutes and it stains. When I was in, when I was in college, I was in a singing group, and, and the singing group, um, uh, male choir, and we, we used to travel a little bit, and we traveled to Boston one time. And, and our first night in, in Boston, we were in our bus, and we were kind of going around the city, and it was really interesting seeing this, you know, this big charter bus going around the cobblestone, the cobblestone streets that were made for horse and carriage. And, you know, we're in like a provost, you know, going down, the, going down these, these cobblestone streets. And we came to a, a, a part where, where he pointed out that this is, this is where the, the locals would go to go to market. Right? Not, not, the, not the Boston market long thing where they used to, they, people would shop, kind of like what Charleston has, but it was a place where they would sell the fresh vo- uh, vegetables and fruit. And at this time, it was still open air. Uh, and, and we got there at nighttime. And so as we got there, we, we got off the bus, and we were going to start walking around from that point. And, and I just remember watching the guys with a, with a fire hose, you know, squirting all the vegetables that, that, that everybody just left that didn't sell or what was, what was rotten. I mean, they were just kind of like, I mean, they were just like spraying it, you know, just spraying it down, I guess, into the harbor. I don't know what they were doing with it, but it had a really nice aroma to it. And why? All day long, fruits and vegetables that go bad, especially in that quantity, it polluted the area. It stunk. It stained the area. And the same thing with our, with our language. It corrupts and stains the atmosphere. I mean, how do we, how do we delight in what's beautiful if our existence or our area and sphere smells like a dumpster? How do, you, how do we do that? You can't. Our language, as rotten fruit does, it spoils an area. You know, leave your groceries in your car for a week and see what happens. You're not going to want, you're going to sell your car. Right? If you ever had a kid leave a banana or an apple in there for a while, same thing. Or a cup of milk. Man, it's tough. Number four is that it reveals a disease. Just as we see in Matthew chapter 7, it reveals a disease. It reveals the disease, and that's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. If the fruit is rotten when it's on the tree, if the fruit is rotten when it's on the tree, then, then the tree is diseased. The tree is diseased. We went to a, a, a peach orchard one time. We were invited to come over to someone's house and pick some things because they weren't going to be in town and, and eat the stuff. And, and so they had a peach orchard, and we went to go pick peaches off the tree. And every single peach that we looked at was, was rotten. And they were still on the tree. We'd go to the next tree, rotten. Go to the next tree. Rotten, rotten. The whole thing was diseased. The whole orchard was, was diseased. Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, he said, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the issue of our speaking is, from the heart. It reveals what's really there. It reveals the, the disease that's, that's there. So if we are speaking in a way, or if a person speaks in a way that is taking the, the Lord's name in vain, or it's trivializing the terrible realities, or replacing what is good and as, as vulgar and as mean-spirited, or gossips, 
It is out of the abundance that the mouth speaks. The abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And if the fruit is rotten on the tree, then the tree is diseased. The root is a problem. It's bad. So that's why we need uh, the root to be replaced. So we're not just changing our, our language here. As we would look in the passage or reading, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, and then we're expecting, okay, so if we're not to speak in this way, and you've gone through these, now tell me how I'm supposed to speak. Tell me the, the words now that I'm supposed to see. But that's not what he does here. He doesn't give us the, the how-tos on being a, a good person. He doesn't address those things. He doesn't just fix the outside because it's the inside that needs to be addressed. Even believers, those who are in Christ, the transformation of sanctification, of rooting out the old and, and putting in the new is what is happening all the time. So he addresses the rotten fruit not just by spraying the tree, but planting a new one with new roots to grow new roots. So it's not just to be better or be better, but he identifies our problem. He identifies the problem at the root is love. Right? There's the word love. You don't see agape there. You don't see phileo there. I'm not seeing love here. Read it again. Good to others. Which is Birthed out of love. Birthed out of love. It's love. Rotten words reveal the root. Anger reveals the root. Impatience reveals the root. Lying reveals the root. Stealing reveals the root. So it's not just our language that can reveal the root. It's all of our sin. And the root, the problem, is, is our love. Such as good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. That it may give grace to those who hear. This is the, this is the first time now that, that grace is no longer just something that God has given us freely, but now it's something that His church gives to each other and into the world. So see the shift? You, you see the shift that, that in... And instead of just not letting corrupting talk come of your mouths, he says, but instead, the question we should be asking in regards to love is, is my mouth a means of giving grace? Is my mouth an, uh, encouraging and edifying one another's and building them up? And building up them appropriately, particularly, that's what that means by as fits the occasion. That's giving grace appropriately as needed, meeting the specific need. Seeing a brother and sister, being in a brother and sister's life that much that you can meet that need by speaking grace into their lives. To meet that particular need. Am I appropriately meeting the needs here with my mouth? This is a whole new way of thinking. This is a whole new way of, of, of using our mouths. Like we saw two weeks ago, that it's a whole new way of how we work. The purpose of our work is so that we would be conduits of God's grace to the world. Not to build up conduits of gold, remember? But to be conduits of copper. It's 
that we can give lavishly. We can give. And the same thing here. It's a whole new way that we use our mouths to a, to a deeper, greater purpose for edification, to meet the needs of, of others. So here, once again, Christianity is not just about having the appearance of morality and being good or speaking in a certain way with, with the correct language, but Christianity is not that. It's not Christian just to stop swearing. It's not Christian just to put on good language, put good language into our mouths and, and then not watch anything that's filled with corrupt language. Christianity is about going deeper, about going to the roots and replacing that root with the gospel, how the gospel tells us, and that is to give grace. So that's why we ask those deep questions of edifying others. Am I using my mouth to edify, give grace to others? If you are a Christian, then the rotten root within you has been made new by God's grace. has been made new by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We heard the gospel and by His grace we believed. He made us new. He transformed us. By grace He has, he has taken all that hate and all that anger and all that resentment that oozes from that vulgar, irreverent, hateful, resentful language and He has covered it with the blood of Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And it goes on from there. So no, long, no longer the, the root is now being replaced, right? The, the root is being replaced with giving grace and to love, but that we have also been sealed for redemption. You look at verse 30. So instead of being filled with rotten, corrupt talk, what's left in its place is grace. And it's a grace that, that builds one another up in a living hope. That's where verse 30 comes in. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, in each Christian, each believer, the, the Holy Spirit indwells within us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And God gives the Holy Spirit to us for many different things, but, or different reasons, and for different purposes and different ways, and it's to bring glory to Christ and all of them. But the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal, set as a seal, as a guarantee or a, or a stamp of, of approval. A stamp of, of approval that, that will preserve us as a guarantee until the day of redemption. What is the day of redemption? The day of redemption is what we would call also the day of the Lord. Consummation, when Christ returns. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance. Listen to what this says. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance of hope. And not just any hope, but a, but a living hope that is secured but a living hope that is secured. And on this, this day, this day of redemption, we, we were singing it this morning, on this day of redemption, sin and death will be over. 
Sin and death will be, will be over. No more pain. No more death. No more tears. No more sin. No more waiting. No more longing. No more frustrations and struggling with the flesh. No more anxiety. No more depression. No more any of that. No more, more pain. You'll see the glory of God revealed in our Savior. And that's our hope. We forget that hope, don't we? We forget that, that we were set and sealed by the Holy Spirit in such a way to, to look to that. To, to look to that. And so the question that I want to come to now is this, is, is then how does the way that we speak, how does the, the way that we speak then grieve this, this Holy Spirit? Right? If the Holy Spirit's given to us as a seal to set us into the day of redemption, then how do we then grieve the Holy Spirit? Where does the, where's the relationship there between our corrupt, rotten talk and that? Well, corrupt, rotten talk, as we already defined what it is, all of it speaks, and all of it speaks to how we are not hoping in that day of redemption. So when we speak in our corrupt language, we grieve the Holy Spirit because we are showing in our hearts once again that we're not hoping in that. We're not hoping in the very thing He has been given to us to do. And that is to bring about a living hope in us that we would trust and lean in the promises of God, have faith in the promises of God, that we are secure and safe till the day of redemption. So when we get angry, when we become bitter, and we give in to resentfulness, and we don't forgive, and we give in to fear, and we speak in such a ways, and we become anxious over our problems, and our language becomes corrupt, then we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. They don't know what grieve is. Upset. Hurt. A, a deep, a deep hurt. Not just the hurt that, that guy took my parking spot. But I heard of loss. I heard of, I heard of a deep of, you don't trust me. How dare you don't trust me. You don't trust what I'm doing in you. What I'm producing in you. You're not hoping in these things. And if we're not hoping in God, then we're never going to speak grace to each other. If we're not hoping in God, then we're not going to speak grace to each other. So when we get frustrated and angered and disappointed... All of that is out of hopelessness. It's out of hopelessness. And that hopelessness grieves the Holy Spirit. But if our identity is in Christ, if our identity is in Christ, a Christian, then, then remember that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He died upon the cross for our sins, and all of them are forgiven. Amen. And not just your past sins, and your present sins, but our future sins. That sets us free to look to that hope now. And that He's also promised that He will work all things out for good, for those who love Him. And to give us joy. And to set a seal of the Holy Spirit in the day of redemption. Let this hope take root in your hearts, brothers and sisters, this morning. Let that hope grow more and more so that we would give grace. Can you imagine that? 
the Lord would make us into a, a sweet, fruitful, ripe, sweet-tasting fruit tree. A tree that produces incredible fruit, lasting fruit, fruit that multiplies. That's the point of the parable of the sower. It's that there would be lasting fruit, fruit that would be multiplied and multiplied for generations and generations. That a thousand years from now, if Christ shall tarry, the fruit of the existence of what we are doing today lasts that long here in this place. That's hard to fathom. God's already there. A fresh fruit from a healthy tree with a whole new way of how we talk. So what is your hope in? Is the tree diseased? Does the fruit come off rotten? Is there a hopelessness that that giving grace and speaking grace is foreign and almost impossible? Is the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God is revealed to you this morning, brothers and sisters, there's rotten fruit there? That you have been grieving the Holy Spirit? And this morning, by, by grace, He's revealing those things to you this morning that you may repent. That you may repent of grieving the Spirit. And that you then would, would hope in God. Not have hopelessness. You have not given a spirit of fear and hopelessness and anxiety that we respond the way that the world does and talk the way that the world does and digest the things that the world digests. We have given a living hope to believe in the promises of God that we are sealed to the day of redemption and that He has done all these things by grace in Christ for those who believe in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we respond with each other, may we respond with you in repentance and in faith and trust in the the work of Jesus Christ, your Son, and what he has done. We thank you that your word goes straight to the heart, that it corrects what was old and deep with what is new. We pray that we would no longer be seeking just a behavioral modification, but a gospel-centered transformation from the inside out. Help us to no longer speak or digest corrupting talk of this world, of what is the old self, but to speak words of edification in the church to build one another up, giving words of grace to all. Forgive us where we have grieved your spirit, which you have given to us, where we have spoken words so carelessly. Mature us in this area, Lord, that we may speak and show the word and how we love the truth and how we love one another. Do your work in us for your glory and for our joy.